0: A lot, of pressure, a lot uh, of talk. Three, two, one, here we go. From the Play Normal Esports studio, this is Pod BN. I'm Tyson, talking today with Ryan Denham from WGLT. going to hear a little bit about what the life of a reporter is like and have him uh, be on the other side of the interview for a change. So first, I'm going to thank our sponsor, Play Normal Esports and Normal Gadgets. Uh, Play Normal Esports has got a new thing going on called Sunday is Fun Fam Day. $25 for a family of four to play all day. That's six hours for $25. I say with my three kids, that is particularly appealing to me, and I was really excited when I picked up this uh, this advertisement here. So I think I might be bringing the three boys in with me. And, you know, it's a family of four, so I, uh, I should probably come along and play games as well with that. Uh, so come check them out, playnormalesports.com or on 802 South Eldorado Road. And now I will welcome Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hello there, Tyson. Thanks for coming in and talking to me. Absolutely. So I, uh, like I was saying before we turn the mics on, I don't really need to give you teach give you any training on uh, proper distance from the mic or anything. So <laughs> thanks for making it easy on me. It's one of the few things I'm good at. Yeah, <laughs> speaking into a microphone. So speaking of stuff you're good at, though, um, you've been at GLT for a uh, few years now, right? Yeah, just over uh, just over two years. Okay, can you tell me a little bit then about your background, um, how you uh, you came to be interested in being a radio host, and then uh, came to work at WGLT?
1: Sure. Yeah, I grew up uh, in the Chicago suburbs um, on the Southwest Side, um, and always kind of had a passing interest in writing and, and the arts. My parents were very much arts arts oriented people. There was always a newspaper on the breakfast table. Um, well, I went to college out in California, so I, l- I left the state uh, to, to go to film school. Actually, film and TV was sort of what I wanted to do, but really caught the the news bug uh, midway through college, and then made a pretty hard pivot. Uh, after college, I Did you uh, study journalism. No, I, I stuck with film and TV, kind of academically, but okay. uh, always all my free time was occupied with um, the college newspaper life. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, and then after college, I started at the Panagraph. I got my first job as, uh, as like a designing pages and copy editing uh, real late at night. I did that for, for a while. I was at the Panagraph for about five years. Um, then did, a, did one year at WJBC, which is the other t- sort of talk radio station in town. Uh, and then actually left journalism for about five years. And I like to say I sold out, uh, but I, I went into to PR and public relations uh, over at ISU. I did that for, for several years. So we had kids. I have two little kids at home. Uh, and then came back about two and a half years ago. I got I was lucky enough to go in the other direction, go from PR back into journalism. Uh, and that's what brought me back uh, to
0: WGLT. WG- okay. So it's more of the journalism aspect than the radio aspect that's kind of your passion.
1: Definitely, yeah. I um, The fact that we have a radio station is... Um, I always joke. It's, it's really incidental to me that that's that's what we have to get the stories out. You know, if it was a a, a note that we tucked into somebody on horseback and that person gave it to everybody the read, that would same difference to me. It's uh, news
0: is news. Sure. Okay. So I didn't realize you would run a you would run a gamut of all those different roles. So that's really interesting. So you're gonna have a. I'm really looking forward to hearing your perspective about the the different the how the pressures are. I guess similar and different. In those ways. So you said Panograph was your first one. Yeah, that's where I started. Okay. So, um, so tell me about what that life is like. What's the life of a Panagraph reporter? Were you doing um, like politics at that time? Was that your focus?
1: Uh, eventually, when, when I first started, I was you know low man on the totem pole. I was you know designing newspaper pages. You know, jet, which is I don't think even done in town anymore necessarily to, okay. to, to that to that much. And does that mean setting up
0: the columns and organizing? The yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, literally. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right.
1: Uh, and then toward the end of my time there, I, yeah, I was like the city government reporter and a business reporter there.
0: Yeah, okay. So, um, so do you have like certain groups and you follow? Like, hey, you got to go to council meetings every two weeks, and then you know you're going to report out on those. Or how do like your stories or assignments come to you? In the newspaper world? In the newspaper
1: world, it was um, – yeah, it was more assigned to me when you have a, a beat like that, like a city government beat. You know, the, there's a structure to it. You know when the council meetings are going to be, when the planning commission is going to be, liquor commission, all that stuff. There's a bit of sort of tent poles that you're hitting on a week-to-week basis. And then throughout that, you're trying to weave in some kind of enterprise reporting, which is you know what you call like any kind of reporting that, that you – you bring up yourself. You generate on your own. It's not given to you by somebody else. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you try to find the right mix, you know, because it's the enterprise stuff that is, I don't know, that, that's the stuff that keeps you going. That's the fuel that that is why you're in the business to begin with. Yeah,
0: and that's you mostly know. driven by your interest and in ideas, things you want to track down. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. And then I assume with those different committees that are going on, you're taking a look at the agenda to try to figure out, hey, is there going to be something interesting here, Uh, because you're not going to go to every Planning commission meeting, right? So
1: it says are uh, you're, you're a planning commissioner still right? Yes I am, yeah. So. <laughs> the, I just want to say oh, this, that's my favorite commission. It's the best run oh. commission well, in all you. of Bloomington normal thank and maybe you. the world. <laughs> Actually, I don't know that. I'm just that's a hypothesis at this point. Well uh, I always
0: know when I, Maria Nagel does it now. I always know when Maria shows up, it's like, uh oh. Like I wonder what's happening here. So. Well that's my favorite thing, is going to meetings that they didn't
1: expect the media to show up to and I'm like the only guy with a notebook and they're like Yeah.
0: What's what is he doing here? <laughs> this is <laughs> this is odd. Yeah, you got upper game too. We're like, oh no, someone's paying attention now. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that's,
1: that's what you do. Yeah, you just uh, you try to get ahead of if you you know meeting coverage is, is a really it can be really boring for for readers and listeners. You know, um, so on our end, yeah, yeah, we try to evaluate: is this going to yield anything that's that's of interest to people? Is this just sort of an inside baseball sausage getting made type of meeting? Mm-hmm. Um, and you evaluate it, and then you evaluate it against what resources you have. You know, um, I think fifteen years ago it was probably an easier decision for the paragraph or, or to, to cover a planning commission meeting, for example. But um, now the calculus is w- is way different. You
0: know, where can we deploy somebody for three hours? Because of more limited resources, mm-hmm. you mean. Okay, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I assume a lot of late nights with that, trying to push things out before things are released the next day.
1: What else at the Panograph? Yeah, that was, uh, and that still is for the folks who are there. They they have evening print deadlines to hit. You know, but in the sports
0: side, it's it's pretty tricky. Council meeting nights, very tricky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So you said you were there, and then where'd you go next? JBC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then still doing news there, yep. journalism. Okay. Uh, were you doing reporting there or interviews? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That was my first foray into into radio.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. How was that transition?
1: Uh, I was. It was okay. Um, going from, like, the, the uh, newspaper environment where you could write really long stories, you know, like, um, you know, thousands of words if, if you're lucky on a Sunday, and then you go to a radio station and you have to really dumb everything down to, like, 45 seconds or 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even 50 seconds is too much, right? So it, it, that was very that was very challenging. And I, I I still wonder, you know, the usefulness of that for, for listeners. And I know... There's benefit to it, you know, because you, you're, you're busy and you know, you're driving in your car to work and you want to hear the news and you want to hear it quickly. But, um, yeah, the, the whole 45 seconds to digest a pretty complex issue is,
0: yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's... I, I mean, anyone who's listened to episodes before has heard me mention how I feel like this is a benefit of what we try to do here with this podcast is to we don't have a time limit, right? We can just... Um, we just put out if if a conversation is forty five minutes if it's an hour and a half we I pretty much just put it out unedited and um, I have gotten feedback from people like whoa like that's way too long I'm not interested in, in listening that long and I guess my my response is like okay I guess we're not making the thing that you want then um, you have other sources that abbreviate it more so uh, you know I see it as a supplementary I guess. Um, I'll say to me personally, when I'm especially now, I was thinking about in the Democratic debates. I I really want to hear someone sit down for an hour plus and just talk to someone and really explain their views to so get to know the candidate. I have a really hard time forming any kind of decisions based on like a, a debate where they have you know 60 seconds to answer something or like news coverage. It just gives like one or two sentences from them. Um, that's my preferred style of learning. But um, I'm kind of a I guess maybe I'm kind of unusually interested in learning some things in depth about government, you know, here. I suppose. Yeah, you, you might
1: be a little bit. You know. Yeah.
0: I mean I suppose you guys study that, right? Of like how long what like what's the desired I do you have do you have a way of detecting like how interested people are in different stories? Is there like Nielsen for different radio Sure.
1: Um, so I at WGLT I am most invested in our digital stuff, so uh, I spend most of my time on, on the online written version of stories, and you know our podcasts that we have, and yeah, and there, and in those instances, the the data is pretty strong on you know average time on page and how, completion rate for a podcast, like how how far into it does somebody get on average. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For the on-air products, it's it's much trickier, right? Because there there are ratings, you know. Uh, we we have ratings, radio ratings are. I, I'm not an expert in them, but I, I do know that they're generally considered a little squishy. Excuse me, a little squishy. Yeah, self-reported. Think, uh, and, yeah, yeah. So there, you don't really know. Like, is uh, when did people drop out of this interview with with mayor, whoever? Right. Um, we have some rules of thumb that we like to abide by. You know, if we're having, but GLT generally at WGLT, we we do have a little bit more f- length to the stories mm-hmm. than. Our competitors, uh, we have pretty typical fifteen-minute interviews, which is
0: um, certainly not an hour like what we're doing here. But it's uh, it's a good, it's a good amount of time. Um, yeah, especially compared to your like news summary segments, right? Mm-hmm. Where that's where the like sixty-second limit comes in. But when exactly. you have the mayors on, or you'll do special reports too that are ten, fifteen minutes, right? Right, or even chopped up between multiple shows and sound ideas. so Exactly. So, yeah. Do you see any kind of difference in, like, do those completion rates for those trail off? Are there are, are more people listening to the news summaries than there are the longer ones in general? You know,
1: I think that there is, uh, it just has to be compelling, right? There are, we do really long stories sometimes. We'll do an online story for some big package that we've worked on and it'll be like, 3,000 words, which is you know, which is kind of lengthy. Um, but then, if you look at the digital stats, that the average time on page for an article like that just jumps up significantly. So, I think people are sticking with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the quality has to be good. Nobody's going to read a three thousand word article that, that's boring, certainly. And they're certainly not going to share it with their friends or recommend that their friends read it, which is really the kind of the secret sauce. Yeah. Um, so that a, that's where length. Yeah. Is can, there a
0: way you can uh, set up? Facebook, so people can only comment if they've actually opened up a link. Oh, that's my dream. That'd be a really, that'd be a really nice thing. That is like
1: literally the one change I would make to Facebook is that you can't comment unless you've clicked on it.
0: Yeah, because I see a lot of comments just to the uh, to the titles of yeah. of links on there. It's uh, great, isn't it? Yeah, where people will like object to something that literally is like right in the article. So, uh, do you write the headlines too when you're doing uh, that? A lot of the time, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: What are you going for with a headline? Are you trying to Encourage people to click and share? Are you trying to kind of head some of that off? What's on your mind when you're writing a good headline?
1: Oh, well, yeah, that's that's tricky. It's it's all about selling it without sensationalizing it. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the balance. Uh, You know, I did do about four or five years in in PR where it's like, you know, it's a hard sell. (laughs) Uh, And you're trying to punch it up a little bit, make it a little sexier than maybe it is. Uh, but so I bring a, a little bit of that sensibility with me when I'm trying to, you know, market one of our stories or something that that we consider important. Um, but you got to deliver on on that promise. If you start if you start going down too far that sensationalistic route, and then people are clicking on the stories first couple times, but you're not, and then you're not delivering the goods on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think people subtly will pick up on that, and then the odds that they become a loyal reader, listener, contributor just. In the tank.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good to hear that. That's on your mind. It's a really easy criticism to levy at the media. One that I I've definitely said before, and I just blanket like the media, right? Like as if you guys are all um, hanging out together. We do have meetings throughout. every
1: every quarter, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I guess do you have a do you have any examples? Um, I mean, you're you're a news consumer too. So, what types of things do you look for in a headline where you're you're kind of being like? Like, that that warns you of sensationalism bias or any like big examples come to mind of man, they're just selling it way too hard
1: i the things that bother me with with headlines or, or the way that stories are marketed is when they're disingenuous about locality and localism okay you know when you're you see a, a tv station or a, a a news publication that says something sensationalistic, but it's a little vague about where that thing took place. Okay, you know, like this mayor, um, you know, ran his car into a Walmart, and you'll never believe how many icies fell on his head. Right, <laughs> and it's um, it's maybe not quite that elaborate, but you can dodge kind of the localism, and then you get people to click on it. Uh, and it's, it's it happened in like Pittsburgh or something. Sure. Um, so why is a TV station in in Peoria sharing that? They're just you know doing it to to deliver impressions to whatever online advertisers they have. But so that, that's that's sort of I I always, I always feel that's very disingenuous and just kind of a waste of everybody's time. Um, so that that's that's probably the only thing that really bugs me about the headline process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because there's now that you mentioned that there's sort of like two tiers, right? There's one when you've got a, a you got a real news story, you did your reporting, and then maybe someone's trying to strike that balance you talked about between being attractive Going over the line of sensationalism, but maybe they made that mistake. And then there's ones that the whole story is just intentionally made for you to click on it, right? Like, you know, this actress from the Goonies—you'll never believe how she looks now. And you're like, well, I want to see how she looks now." <laughs> you know, you click on it, and it's just like her IMDb photo. And you're like, "Oh, okay." Like I just—it's about how I thought she'd look. Yeah. Didn't? Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> much yeah. Um, I need to do I need to do more Goonies related reporting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I definitely don't see that on. Uh, I don't see that like just pure clickbait on glt um yeah, or charlie the, schlenker
1: our news director would would kill me i think
0: yeah so. i think that's that's probably below below your uh, standards um i also don't see like summaries of twitter feuds on uh on glt which i appreciate you know it's like uh, i think i saw what was it yesterday it was like the lead singer of the pretenders said something bad about donald trump and i'm like the the who like the not, not the who that's a different band <laughs> that, would, that would be something yeah daltry said something <laughs> but uh, i was like yeah I, I don't even know that i really know the pretenders and the fact that the lead singer said something mean on twitter about the president like I, i'm not sure why this is on the front page of yahoo but um, yeah
1: media resources are really oddly uh, allocated if you think about it i just saw a, a story from Brian Stelter at CNN, who's like the, the CNN media reporter, and he said that there were a reporter that there were about 445 reporters for about 200 news outlets covering the debate, uh, the most recent debate last week in mm-hmm. in Nevada. And it's like 445 people to cover something that it was literally on television. <laughs> that like everybody if, saw. If you wanted to watch it and experience it, you could have. Like we need like like eight reporters, maybe. Yeah. one maybe one for each candidate, and then somebody to write a roundup. Huh. You know, four hundred and four, like, so it's like allocations like that, and your 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 thing, where somebody literally took the time to like write up a recap of the Pretenders singer, you know, tweeting whatever he or she
0: tweeted. Um, yeah, I might have a, I might have totally gotten that story wrong. I didn't. Uh, I, well, so we just libeled the, the lead singer I, of the Pretenders. Anyone who's going and uh, fact checking me, you know, I yeah. apologize. Um, my, do you? Uh, do you get into uh, Twitter back and forth? I mean, do you do you follow that as part of your? I hear I hear for news reporters, it's pretty much essential that you have to be on there following things. Is that true? yeah? It's probably. It seems
1: like eighty percent of the people who use Twitter are are journalists. It seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to the one humorous Twitter beef I got into was with a, a professional wrestler um, about a year ago. There was a. Uh, <laughs> Like kind of like a minor league professional wrestling circuit that that started here in Bloomington Normal, called Iron Spirit Pro. Okay. And they had a show in Normal, and I went to cover it and interviewed some of the wrestlers, and um, and so I did a story about it, and we published it. But in the story, I, I got the name of one of the wrestlers wrong. I called him the Filth Monster, and his his real name, his wrestling name, was the Filth King. Oh, oh. oh. And he came at me hard on on Twitter. <laughs> And it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was my only real Twitter beef, and I apologized quickly. But he kept coming at me. It was great. Wow.
0: Well, thankfully, it was just on Twitter
1: because. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, I, I think in real life, you might have been, might have been in bad shape. But he's yeah. a
1: nice, yeah, he's a nice fellow. He works at like Orange Theory Fitness. I think as, like a okay. a
0: trainer when he's not the Filth King. Does he still? He doesn't go by the Filth King there. I didn't check his driver's license, but <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably not. Yeah. But does that give you a, is that useful as leads um, Twitter locally? yeah oh yeah definitely Helps
1: you out a lot generate definitely ideas. I wish um, it's very open source you know so you can you can find anything I just wish there were more a, a, a more diverse group of people locally using it mm mm-hmm.
0: um, is it pretty thin I'm not on it actually
1: yeah it's pretty th- it's pretty thin okay um, yeah There's the same th- the same suspects pretty much over and over again and I don't sense that there are a lot of new players that are coming in
0: mm-hmm. you know Um like what? Um, what areas of the community is it more like businesses or like certain, just certain members of the political scene or exactly
1: yeah okay. it's, a, it's sort of the it's same a
0: subset of political scene exactly okay yeah all right um, gotcha yeah you never feel like you're
1: really getting a good, getting a, a representative taste of anything you know Mm-hmm. Um, yeah you can tell what certain people think who are always on there but you don't you have no idea what that means
0: yeah I set up an account. And I had trouble for some reason because they thought I was a bot and I couldn't convince them I wasn't for a really long time. And then finally I did get on and then it was such a high hurdle to get on. My expectations were really dashed when I got in there and I, I just never really uh, turned it back on again. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear I'm not I, – I really only use social media to follow local issues. I, I try to just block all the national stuff as much as I can because it's like you you know, you, you, you get on there and you're looking at pictures of your friend's kids and all of a sudden there's like a – you know, some political, um, you know, something mean that someone said about someone else and it just kind of ruined your feelings. So I try to get much of that stuff out of there. So I'm glad I'm not missing a lot of local stuff on Twitter at this point. Good to know. I, I did fact check myself. It was the Pretenders lead singer, Lodz Trump, for awarding Medal of Honor to Rush Limbaugh. So that was the story I was, I was referring to. Nice. So I, I was accurate. I did say the Pretenders, right? You did, yeah. yeah okay, all right, cool. Um, all right, so... Uh, so yeah, we kind of got into um, you know jump right into your WGLT life. Is it still similar in the respect that you have your certain beats that you do, and then you have your is it you call it enterprise topic?
1: Your yeah, group? actually, it's it's a little different at uh, at WGLT where there are there's a little less of a beat system, and so there everybody is is a bit more of a generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, the expectation being that you know it's a smaller staff, right? There's only you know five r- real full-time news-type contributors uh, on staff. Um, and so, you know, in terms of full-time professional staff, mm-hmm. so everybody's going to kind of be able to do everything. Um, that, that said, there are certain areas of interest that you develop, and um, you kind of stick with it. Like, I'm I'm a sucker for anything about Rivian, you know, the, the car company, so okay. I do a lot of that. Eric Stock covers county government, um, so if there's anything that develops on that beat, he's probably going to be the guy who Get asked to work on it, mm-hmm. um, so there's a little bit of that. But I think the expectation is that we could all do uh, be generalists.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Rivian because I you said it's an interest of yours. So mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm really uh, I have not followed it very closely. I, it was actually one of the first stories mm-hmm. I followed closely when I started getting into local politics, just understanding the deal of the incentive package mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I typically am against, uh, I'm typically not a big fan of incentive packages in general, but I was actually, I thought that that one was really wise that we, um, you know, that building was going to get torn down, right? So then a, a little bit of help for Rivian and, and now, it, and um, not only was it a wise decision at the time, I think, but I think it's also panned out, which is nice to see. Um, what's uh, What captures your imagination about it to continue to? Cover it and pay attention to it thanks
1: i th- I just think it's it's potentially the biggest story in in the Bloomington normal economy right now um, I think you could make the argument that state farms anything they do is is probably numero uno but I don't know there's a bit of stable stable it's, it's pretty stable it seems uh, so I, th- I think a review would be pretty much potentially the the biggest thing happening mm-hmm in the economy, and um, every little movement they make is is interesting in some way from that perspective. Um, there's really, uh, you know, initially when they first came to town, they, they were very mysterious, right? It was um, so like in that case, literally everything they did was interesting or newsworthy. It was like, huh, they, they hired this what, guy.
0: What is going on in there? Um,
1: yeah. But now we know what's going on in there, and so now it's more of a larger economic story about. What is it going to mean for the workforce? Are these people going to buy homes here or in, you know, Peoria? Well, you know, what, those types of things. Uh, and now, from a media perspective, the competition is is crazy. And before, we were just on Rivian stories, we'd be competing with Panagraph, JBC, and you know, that's about it. And now, it's you know, Forbes gets to go do a plant walkthrough. and we, and, and the local guys were like, oh, how do we, how do we compete with that kind of information?
0: Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, with that, are you are you limited a lot just to their public information and press releases, or do you have the time to go through like doing investigative reporting, like trying to dig through records or f- documents or anything like that? Uh, how do you get information about Rivian? It's a lot of
1: um, yeah. We do have time for something like that. That's that important, right? Yeah, we do make the time to to try to dig things out. Um, you know, so for example, if I just called them a month ago and asked them, hey, how much have you dumped into the plant You know, so far? Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't give me a dollar figure, right? So we were able to pull building permits and tally it up for the year 2019. It was like $24 million. Um, and that said, though, there are some things that we are unable to dig up. So even more recently, like a week or two ago, they, as I mentioned, had Forbes come in and do a walkthrough with a photographer yeah. and everything. And yeah. in that story, they mentioned... The total price tag for all the work they're going to do with the plant is $750 million. So um, that's not a number that we knew about before or anybody knew about before, but they just dropped it strategically, as we Mm -hmm. found out in this this Forbes interview. Um, There's some digging you can do. We we did a story that was um, a little bit critical of their initial approach to hiring workers at the plant for the remodel. There were some concerns from local union members about um, you know how much out-of-town help they were bringing in to do that work. Uh, and that's when we just piece that together from conversations with kind of union reps from the different trades. Um, and then we confirmed what we could and got a comment from Rivian. And so th- there's a bit of that enterprise going on. Um, I like to try to take the tack of like... Because now there's so much media covering Rivian. It's like everybody's doing it. So what are the stories they're not doing? You know, So recently we did a thing where... We interviewed about a half dozen Rivian customers across the country, living in different places. Why did they pre-order? What do they think about the company? Or have they ever considered uh, getting their deposit back and buying a Tesla? Or whatever you know, those are stories that I, I hadn't seen done before. Um, it's not anything, I got from a press release. Forbes didn't do it. It's something that we could do locally because if they don't, people don't buy the cars, and it's, for our economy, it's uh, it, it'd be a huge deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the um, – excuse me. Uh, so I couldn't tell with that news filters being what they are, when stuff pops up and it's about Rivian and it's from a national source, I can't tell if I'm just seeing it just because I'm here and Google's kind of whittled it down for me. But, I mean, from what I'm hearing from you, like there really is national attention being paid to the company. There really is a buzz about it going on.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a, there's sort of a template for it. Um, there's so many national publications that have done their first like introduction to Rivian story that there's like a there's like a repetition a, a template to it um, you know they they, they interview Scaringe RJ Scaringe is the founder and CEO of the company they either can get him by phone or they get invited to come visit him wherever he's at um, they do the story that says like oh this is the new Tesla killer and then they compare him and contrast him to Tesla's founder um, Elon Musk, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. They they say he looks like Superman, Clark Kent, R.J. Scringe. <laughs> uh, then they – what else they do? Yeah, then that's, that's – so there's a structure to it. And then they call, always call Mayor Coos, and they get the quote from Mayor Coos about what this means for the local economy and how the plant was about to cl- get demolished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you maybe one other – maybe an analyst from like Edmonds or some some automotive research. Then that's the story. And then that story has been done like 70 times. Okay. Forbes just did it. Uh, but they're not not the last or not the first.
0: Yeah. Still, I, the fact that the story is being done by national outlets is pretty. It's very cool. cool. Yeah, when the yeah. first time I,
1: it happened was a, I think a New York Times did, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like someone from New York Times was, was literally in town walking and around uptown, normally interviewing people. Like, that's pretty. That's pretty
0: cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, so you're uh, you you know more about them than I think. Ninety nine point nine percent of people since you've been covering them so closely so what's your um are you optimistic about when they start releasing cars like do you think it's going to keep growing keep being successful um personally i'm I'm sort of agnostic
1: on it but um i certainly would think they have a much better chance of making it than um than most people think they do Mm -hmm. if if that makes sense I, i think that um I'd be surprised if they didn't get their first vehicle to market and it sold pretty well. Um, they seem to have enough support now from a wide array of, of funders that it would be it would surprise me if they just, like, fizzled out yeah. at this point.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if they, I don't know, were late to production. I mean, they, they're supposed to have the first ones off the assembly line at the end of this year. They might—I don't know if they'll hit that or not. I have no idea.
0: Oh, so they're, they're targeting this year then? At least for the first few, yeah. But okay.
1: even if they don't, that it's, it's, it doesn't mean it's a it's a it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting too to see how they go after these local tax incentives. You know, because as they hit these different thresholds for, for hiring and investment, um, you know, how a company that that just spent seven hundred fifty million dollars or is going to be spending three quarters of a billion on a plant, yeah, you know, what does what does four hundred thousand dollars in tax breaks Mean, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess every bit counts, but um, you know, are they going to g- pursue those aggressively?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Be interesting to see. All right. Is there anything else that uh, that you're particularly passionate about in your reporting that you really enjoy going after? What kinds of stories or topics.
1: Um, I I like uh, parenting stuff. Uh, I, I think you're a, a guy who has has little kids too. I have I have two and. Uh, child care like the cost of child care and uh, work-life balance type stuff I, I'm, I'm attracted to as a as a story topic mm-hmm. um, I've done a, a, a series and some follow-up stories on child care that um, it is just <laughs> staggering how much if both parents are working how much child care costs even oh, yeah. like if you're you know, middle class upper middle class it's like it's bonkers.
0: yeah uh, yeah we my wife and I had already agreed that whenever we had children that one of us was going to stay home, whoever was earning the, the lower salary was going to stay home. Um, I, I ended up becoming an actuary instead of a teacher, so it was I, mine was more than her <laughs> than teacher's salary. Um, but uh, even if we had wanted to work, uh, I think at the time my son was born, if my wife was working as a teacher full-time with a master's degree... And add him in like a medium-priced childcare. After tax, she'd be bringing home like seven thousand dollars a year. And then if we put two in there, she'd be in the hole. So it, even if she desired to work in that profession, it, um, even if our plan was for her to continue to do that, like she'd basically be almost working for free, and then adding a bunch of stress to our life. So it would have sort of uh, forced us into a one-salary family, <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. So, yeah, is that? I assume that lines up with what you've been. See? You.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the safety net that exists in other part of our oh, you think about children, right? And they go to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. If you choose to put your kids in public schools, which I do, there is once they hit kindergarten, there's a there's a structure there to you know tax supported. Everybody's kicking in. It's producing a good quality public education. For some reason, we just as a society have decided that that childcare, uh, even universal pre K, is not a thing yet. Um, we we just decided that that safety net of education and, and child care is just not going to start until you're five or six years old, and that's that's kind of what we decided. And I think uh, you know, it just has really interesting repercussions for, especially young women in our community who, yeah. you know, are, are my wife, your wife, deciding when to have kids, and um, it forces you into some real interesting. It's, mm-hmm. It slows down your career. And it it's it has
0: all these really interesting side effects that um, I don't know if we're all okay with. Yeah. I went to international school overseas, um, in the Netherlands and uh we started at it was called IY One, International Year One, and it was when you were four. So that's essentially when um apparently at that school they decided after looking at all the NATO countries that kind of the typical expectation is that um you know your formal schooling would start at age four, so preschool age for us. So um one year earlier than what we had uh, here in the states, but yeah. So do you um do you have um like a is your belief we are you supportive of looking of um, efforts to have like uh, publicly funded preschools? That's something that you
1: oh I I, I a- don't I don't know I don't really have a strong opinion about what we should do. Um, I think my job is just sort of to describe and show everybody what the reality of what our current system is, uh, how it's planned out. If if people want to fix it, not fix it, you know, up to to
0: them ultimately. Going to take a quick break. Uh, Justin pre-recorded some ads, so even though he's not here today, we're going to hear from him. We want to thank our sponsor, BRE Law. They're located in Bloomington Normal and they can help you uh, with any wide variety of personal injury cases whether it's car accidents, injuries to children, construction accidents, motorcycle accidents, dog bites, contact them at breinjurylaw.com. Is that um is that kind of like your your personality more when you're saying that you tend to be agnostic about these lot of things you're just reporting about it or are you kind of looking more from like your professional aspect and what your responsibilities are there. Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's an interesting point of internal tension always with, with reporters. I'm sure you knew other, other journalists too. Is mm-hmm. um, I really have to modulate my <laughs> – when I get fired or hot about something, I have to really mod- modulate it and uh, not show it to people. You know that that's part of the that's part of the deal, right? That's why yeah. I get to have the coolest job of in, in the world. It, it, that's that's part of the price you pay. Is I can't go on Facebook and talk about what I think of this politician doing this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I did as a young man, you know, but uh, I can't anymore, and yeah. that's
0: uh, that's worth the sacrifice for you to give that up.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, because yeah, yeah, how fun is it to have a Facebook a Facebook flame war anyway? <laughs> <with> somebody, <laughs> I guess I didn't give up that much, but yeah. Um, I've, I I notice it internally with, with, you know, the Trump era has certainly uh, aggravated a lot of people on the on the left in, the, in this community. Uh, I'm sure you know these folks, and it's um, for some of them very legitimate reasons. You know, especially if you're a person of color or an, or an immigrant, um, these things have affected you personally, right? But there, you know, there are obviously others. Who are not directly impacted by his presidency, but are still just flabbergasted that he's behaves the way that he does, um, and yeah, it's some people. The emotional side of it just is just too much to bear, and there's a lot of frustration. Yeah, um, but I find myself just trying to stay even and not get too worked up about it. I think you know, even if it's phony, sometimes that's uh, that's what you got to do.
0: Yeah, I've gotten that. That's probably the biggest criticism I've gotten from people about any particular podcast episode Um, I'm actually surprised I don't get more criticism for things so maybe that's just because people don't care enough to reach out but when people are critical it typically is like you let this person get away with saying something that's false or you really backed down from that conflict and you should have held them accountable more or you should have argued with them more Um, and I think a little different from you. I don't, I don't. I'm not. I don't consider myself a journalist, so I don't consider myself like abiding by journalistic ethics of keeping my opinions out of things or whatever. Um, just kind of a guy with microphones that records himself and puts it on the internet. Uh, maybe I should consider myself that more. I don't know. It's 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 something I think about, but um, but I also don't feel a need to have people on and argue with them or be confrontational with them or unpleasant. Um, I feel like if you want to have that, especially with political topics, it's in spades, right? Like, you know, hey, you were talking to a Republican. You should have, you know, you should have made them be accountable for what Donald Trump does. It's like, well, you know, like you go anywhere and you can see liberals and conservatives fighting with each other. Like it's not, you're not bringing anything new to bear with that. Um, And, uh, you know, even like biased media in general, right? Like there's explicit tilt, Two stories. So, if people want to just hear a left-wing v- take on a story, they can go out to um, ah, names escaping me. The Huffington Post, right? I mean, you can just you can go ahead and get that if you want, but um, that's not your goal. Then, <laughs> As a per- that's not your goal to just like bring your bring your uh, you know opinions and perspectives into it, right? That's yeah. I, I more- and I it, it bothers me when people.
1: Scapegoat the media for when there's news that they think is negative toward the thing that they believe in, or the candidate they believe in, or the company they believe in, whatever, and it's negative, and they they sort of use that as a as a shoot the messenger type of thing. That mm-hmm. and that certainly bothers
0: me. Yeah, I do hear liberal bias yeah. get um, get thrown at NPR a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Um,
1: I, I I don't think uh, it's a fair criticism. Generally, so I, guess, I, I think I guess
0: there's two buckets. WGLT is one thing, and then overall, like overall national NPR is another. So you can feel free to distinguish between those. Yeah, yeah
1: I wonder what what people think of of WGLT locally. Sometimes I, I I'd be curious to to hear what you think, actually. Yeah. As somebody who kind of follows this stuff, um, you know, yeah, you always you always wonder like, are we perceived as just kind of a by the right, at least by people on the right, are we perceived as sort of a left wing uh, mouthpiece? Are we? Are we considered reasonable when it comes to, you know, balance? Uh, I yeah, always wonder about that because it's not like we survey, you know, we don't send out paper surveys and ask people, what do you think of WGLT? Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, I guess I'd be curious what you think. Yeah. Um, here's my perception. I think people, I think people like yourself who go into journalism tend to be curious people who are open-minded. And like you said, I want to hear both sides of things. I want to, like, be open to other people's perspectives and to hear from all kinds of different approaches um and thoughts on things and kind of summarize them and other people can make their opinions on it and so um that's a psychological trait called openness i'm not an expert in it but i do like to dabble reading some psychology stuff every now and then and people who are open tend to be more liberal like the lib like small small l liberal tend to be people who are who are when exposed to new things or new topics, they are more curious and, uh, conservatives tend to be more afraid. And that's not to, to connotate weakness. It's just the psychological reaction. They have, um, I've heard about this on hidden brain, actually on NPR. They talk about, you it. Know. <laughs> um, so I, I think just by virtue of like people, there's a, there's a criticism levied at a lot of journalists, that like, oh, a lot of journalists are liberals. I think it's more just that the field of journalism tends to appeal more to people who are curious about things and um, want to find out more about them. And then those people tend to uh, be more on the left. Like, you can think of a national issue like uh, immigration, right? How do you view immigrants? Are you? Do you see, like, oh, they're bringing in new ideas and new cultures into our melting pot, and there can be entrepreneurs, and there can be uh, people who are, you know, victimized by the situation in their country, and they come here and be free? Like, are you curious about these immigrants, or are you, like, oh, they're, like, you know, Trump portrays them, they're rapists and murderers and... Um, there's dangerous elements that can come into our country like both of those are true right like immigrants are both of those things there are some that come in and enrich our society and there's some that come in and are a danger to us and so i, don't
1: know. I think you i um, think you, you just hit a, a point of false equivalency though okay I, mean, I don't think that those things weigh the same right there if there's one like you know seven rapists out of a you know millions of immigrants over the history of or the recent history of the united states is mm-hmm. it is it fair to characterize those things those are not equal truths right yeah one is a little bit true like a tiny minuscule amount of it and then the other one is like really true
0: sure um i guess i would say i think you should ask yourself both of those questions when you're encountering a new idea or when you when you are seeing i think it's a fair question to ask of people who are coming into our country to say are they posing a danger to us I don't think that that's an unfair question to ask. It's not the one that I'm inclined to ask, but having someone who might ask that question is valuable to have. So how do they ask it? How dramatic are they? Who, what evidence do they seek out to try to, um, do they try to ascertain? Like what you said, is it seven out of a million or is it a larger population? You know, we don't get beyond the rhetoric and do that, Mm -hmm. um, does that, does that make any sense? Or do you still feel like I'm doing a false equivalency with it?
1: No, I think that there are a lot of journalists who are getting the real answers uh, to those questions. And um, if people Google that reporting and find it, the answers are, are there. You know? yeah. and I think a lot of people say this or that about the media and, and what, what we cover and don't cover – just because you didn't read the story or didn't hear it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and maybe it's Google's fault or Facebook's fault that it didn't serve it into your your algorithm, but um, and I'm sure, there's an awareness issue of it, maybe.
0: Yeah, it's unfortunate that um, people get preyed upon. How would I put it? So people know what their base's emotional reaction is going to be to certain topics and can use that to. Um, rile them up to um, uh, they're not going to alleviate their fears right <laughs> with that information on there um, so um, anyway to go back to your original question I went far askew of it I think that probably the newsroom at GLT does tend to have a lot of liberals in it like I don't think um, I don't think Mike McCurdy's very um, you know he's very supportive of, like, Connect Transit, which tends to be more of, like, a liberal feel to it. Um, R.C. McBride doesn't tend to, like, I think it, when you looked at the, n- the normal town council race, he kind of felt he fell on the left side of that. But I don't think that that, I don't agree that that leads to, a, like, a bias in the way that you report stories. I think it more attests to just kind of, like, the type of people that you guys are and the type of where your, like, sympathies tend to lie and mm-hmm. things is so, um, that
1: no that's sense? interesting Yeah, I always like to I ask that question a lot of people I'm
0: yeah, curious yeah. and I think it's even more accentuated at the national level where I don't think there's bias in the reporting but I think there's bias in the story selection like if there's a story about a group of people that are getting hurt by someone the NPR reporter like embeds themselves in the group that's being hurt and like kind of reports from that perspective that, that tends to be what the stories I hear are and that Sympathizing with the people for whom the system is not working, that tends to be the like liberal voice of things. Where the conservatives more speak for the value of the system. Mm -hmm. Where like, hey, we have these traditions, and don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because we have there's value in the traditions that we have in the structure.
1: That's the the mantra of journalism, right? Is is comfort the uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you put yourself in that position of like a challenging. Authority and tradition and practices too. So Just to some degree, I mean, we're
1: doing it at a, at a, at a baby level here, right? This mm-hmm. is this is the middle of Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, and we're a, a teeny tiny newsroom in a teeny tiny part of the world. Yeah. Um. So the whole, you know, comfort the, afflict the comfortable. That, that's a fight that journalists at the national level are, are are fighting more commonly. Yeah.
0: I was referring to the national ones more mm-hmm. on that story selection type thing. So, um. Yeah. So does that. But it does sound like to me you take that very seriously. That you question yourself about the level of sensationalism, the level—am I introducing my own personal biases or emotions into this? And
1: um, oh yeah, that I question of when do you go for the throat on somebody is is something I, I'm always uncomfortable with uh, and squeamish about. There are times when you get presented information about somebody and you go and check it out, and it's true, and and you're faced with a choice of uh, you know, are we really going to go for the throat on on this person? Mm-hmm. You know, do they? is it accurate first and foremost how are people going to react to that how, how is this person going to deal with that um, you, you are a human being ultimately I'm not a robot uh, who can set that stuff aside I can compartmentalize a lot and I do a lot but that, some of that still comes home with you certainly
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah I think I imagine that particularly comes into play because you do interviews with a lot of the political candidates right kind of the do you try to ask the same questions as much as possible to all the people, or do you do you tailor them to their particular platform? What's that process of – so I guess start the question off differently. You got a, You know you got a candidate coming in. You're going to interview them. What's your process to get the topics that you want to cover for them?
1: That's a good question. Yeah, I th- I, we try to tailor it, or I try to tailor it more to the individual. Um, if you're hosting a debate or a candidate forum or something, and it's literally that's the – structure of it, then yeah, the question should be similar or identical. But if it's separate interviews, for example, the 13th Congressional uh, District race, now there's a a primary coming up March 17th between two Democrats, Betsy Dirksen-Londrigan and uh, Stephanie Smith, and the 13th District is is part of Bloomington Normal. And so I'm interviewing them, Uh, one of them was last week and one of them is this coming week. Um, I'll, some of the questions will be the same, but most of them will not be. So for Betsy Londrigan the question is, um, you know, what's different this time? You lost to Davis last time around. Um, what, you know, what's what's different this time? How are you different than this Democratic challenger that you face now? Um, people say you're not progressive enough. What do you think of that? Why don't you think Medicare for all is the way to go? That those types of, And then for the other one, for Stephanie Smith, the questions are positioned from where she is, which is – you know, Medicare for all. How do you square that with a country that seems um, very much torn on that issue? Uh, how do you, in a, in a district like you, the one you're running in, that voted for Trump, voted for Romney? How does someone like you, you know, claim to represent all of those people? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get into the policy
0: questions, which maybe are this, are, are, are more similar, but yeah, yeah, you, know, you got to tailor them. So it sounds like. If I was to summarize what I heard your thought process is, it's so sort of imagining that you're someone who's like skeptical about this person and might wanna like kinda understand a point of difference between them and their opponent. Um, trying to make sure they spend their time on the the areas where there's like the most distinction so they can make their position clear and their thought process on that. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. To some degree, yeah. 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 I'm not trying to lead you with that. Question. Yeah, I, I don't want to— um, I think it's a reasonable thing to do. It's not,
1: I don't want to play, I think it's play up this. the friction too much. You know, you don't want to be artificial about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's generally what you're trying to do with, with political coverage is— if they're, not political, election coverage when there's— uh, when people are about to make a choice. Yeah, that's probably what the candidates want to talk about mm-hmm. too, right? But it's, to be totally honest, political politics coverage is like some of the least interesting stuff— that i i do at least I mean, okay. in, my, in my opinion I, it's it's interesting i mean politics is kind of like sports where it's it's easy to cover right uh it's everywhere there's a lot of candidates who kind of have to talk to you mm-hmm. so they have to call, pick up your phone when you call them everybody understands it so it's not that tricky to write about it it's actually pretty easy um but it's, you know so that's that's out there but i think the more interesting stuff is everything else <laughs> okay you know none uh, of those for,
0: the, Frankly. The social issues and the, yeah. um just how our community is doing on the whole. Yeah, our our yeah. our
1: question is always how much do we we probably over cover politics and undercover governing and government.
0: hmm <laughs> That's an interesting distinction. Yeah, that's that's something that we struggle with here too, is um there's a tendency to just make this a political podcast because that is Fun like I like following the horse race. I like following the details, like knowing the people. Uh, I try really hard to have it be about fifty-fifty that you talk to more people who about half people who are involved in politics, and then half community leaders and small business owners and things like that. Because if you're trying to get a sense of what's going on in the community, just hearing from people involved in government or who, who are aspiring to be part of government is not. A reflection of what's going on in our whole mm-hmm. community, you know. So, um, yeah, and it's yeah, that's interesting to, to think about how it, it is a little bit easier because you're they already have their platform, right? So you can kind of just here tell tell me your stump speech for <laughs> this issue, and then they can say and you can record it and then send it to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. It's not as not as much work with um, with doing that. Do do candidates tell you, like, hey, I want you to ask me about this, or like, don't ask me about this? So, are there like rules of engagement that they sometimes have?
1: Uh, I just had this come up uh, with, a, with a candidate. I don't want to say who it is, but their their handler was uh, trying to get me to flag for them what it, what issues I'd be asking about, mm-hmm. you know, what questions I would be asking, what issues I'd be asking about. And at some point, this person kept calling me back and saying, "Hey, just checking in again. Do you have a better sense of what, what you're going to be asking about on mm-hmm. uh, on this particular day?" Um, and at some point, I just said, "Like, well, not, I'm not going to like give you a list of the questions. What are you, what are we doing here?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, if you're running for office, you know, just be be ready. If you don't want to run for office, don't don't run for office then. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, but if it's if it's not a political candidate interview. I'd be happy to, you know, give give broad strokes of what I plan to ask about or whatever. Yeah, there's no if it helps you prepare your thoughts and stuff in advance. Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that distinction there. Oh yeah, let's talk a little bit about how media's changing. So you've alluded to the fact of I think everyone knows uh, resources dwindling at news organizations trying to do same amount or more with less, and then uh, the internet, social media, other things coming into play. Um, and also the podcast you guys just released, try to do, cause you already have the Sound Ideas podcast, and now you've got the... The lead-off. Yeah. The lead-off podcast, yeah. So um, you, you're kind of involved in... Are you, are you pretty involved in um, like strategy on that front of how do we, how do we reach people? Yes. Um, so uh, talk me through your thoughts on that space like what where are we where where do you think we're headed in the like next five to ten years with um with media how are you positioning yourself to try to be where you need to be
1: yeah that's probably the thing i think about most other than my my family is uh is that question um the local media kind of crisis that this country faces so in our community my my read on it is there are. There've only been a few sort of upstart media outlets that have tried and come into the come into the area and do something, right? So we've had um, Bln News, which is Diane Benjamin's blog, mm-hmm. that is, you know, it's a very conservative uh, pu- you know publication. There was um, Adapt BN, which tried about two years ago with some funding from the Prenzler family, and uh, they did kind of a subscription model. Uh, it didn't last uh, a long time, but the journalism went out was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are there's something like the, the the private Facebook groups that are out there. You know, the news happening in Bloomington Normal Group, which is sort of a it's not journalism because there's no sort of editorial processes, but um, it's it, it's news. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, and it's yeah. important uh, locally.
0: Well, like you just covered too, there's a lot of municipalities that are or uh, government functions that are trying to. Get into it too, like normal has their podcast. Yeah, you have municipalities. stories. Yeah, you have yeah. those.
1: You know, you think about what the media used to do. We Used to cover, um, I don't know, every every shooting, every car crash, you know, serious car crashes. Mm-hmm. But now you have you know police departments, fire departments with pretty good sized Facebook presences, so they're, they're doing that themselves. So what does that free us up to do differently? Well, I don't need to do a story about just to regurgitate a Facebook post from the normal fire department, right? That That's sort of a waste of everybody's time. Um, so I think that, honestly, I don't want to stroke WGLT's uh, ego, but nonprofit journalism really is the only viable business model, in my view, after w- working in the industry for 15 years, um, and 10 years. That's really the only way to go. It's, we're Nonprofit is the only nimble enough business model to really make a go of it. You know, uh, we don't have to send um, dividends to to shareholders. We don't have to send money out anywhere else. It doesn't leave the community.
0: Um, don't have to appease advertisers. Yep. With things. Yeah, yep. Yep. have if to it, make are, sure you're adding value
1: to your constituents. Yep. Individual yep. contributors are the bread and butter. A little bit of grant money, a little bit of state university funding. Uh, funding but generally, individuals and corporate underwriters are are the – will keep us going – that's really, to me, that's the only model that works. I wouldn't be surprised if, if somebody else tried to make a go of it locally, you know, like another news um, upstart small one or two reporter outlet in Bloomington, Rome, in the next five years, if that's sort of the time frame you're, you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'd be cool to see. I mean, in comp- the competition in that sense would be very useful. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, ho- I hope people start to invest more in local news, though. I, I think that locally we've we're in this kind of quagmire where I think people have seen uh I used to work with Panagraph, and I love the people who are still there, but obviously their staff has shrunk significantly, right so customers notice that, and you know how willing are they to to subscribe to something that the product is shrinking, yeah it's a
0: downward spiral right because you can you can pay for it and then you get it and you're like well this isn't done very well so i don't want to pay for it but then if no one's paying for it then they can't do it very well yeah so you get into that exactly
1: um but i that's where i honestly think that that public media can fill maybe not all of that but but a lot of it
0: Mm -hmm. how long have you done written summaries along with your audio news stories is that fairly new uh, it's some, yeah, it, it is. Uh, is they like they, were the doing, uh, or? they were doing they
1: sh- were doing very short written summaries. Uh, before I got there, about two and a half years ago. Uh, but in the time since, we've really emphasized the written version of the story is is as important or more important than what's on the air.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had not reflected on that until you mentioned that. But that's my my morning routine is I pull up the pantograph on my phone. I Go to GLT, read any new stories that you posted in the local news section, and then see if there's anything on JBC. Um, and then once a week, I have Diane Benjamin's uh, weekly sites kicked to me in my email, so I can browse through all those, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, since I've been on the Planning Commission, I find that to be useful because sometimes there's topics that are getting um, brought, brought up there that people feel like should be reflected in public comment or whatever. And that's useful to me. Are you saying that she reports news that nobody else reports? (laughs) What do you know? I think that's, it might be be a good tagline. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I don't listen to GLT as much as I read those stories. Now that I think about it, I do look through the sound ideas every time and download specific ones. If there's a topic that's of interest to me, I don't usually drive anywhere. So I don't hear it in the car. Um, but those written summaries are very valuable, and I hadn't reflected on that before.
1: That's our our big challenge as a as a nonprofit. I really, I honestly believe that nonprofit is the only business model that works um, at the local level. But if it is going to work, we have to do a better job of converting those people like you and others who read the stories mm-hmm. into becoming individual, you know, like monthly contributors. That, that we need that needs that conversion needs to yeah. be more aggressive and needs to happen more often. Sure. Um,
0: I, yeah, I should mention, I do contribute, so thank oh, you for well, that.
1: Oh, well, I got the mores already, yeah. all right. <laughs> nice.
0: not, I'm not, the, not monthly, but um, put it in and have a little State Farm match for you. So, all um, right. Yeah. I guess this announcement to anyone, as State Farm employees who do contribute to WGLT, you can get a State Farm match for that. So it's double your money for just filling out a quick form online. So definitely make sure to do that. There may be other organizations that do that, too. But, um, but yeah, it uh, will be interesting to uh, – Definitely, be interesting to see, and I really appreciate the. I used to donate to GLT more because I liked the overall NPR stories, like the not, I mean programming, like wait, wait, don't tell me, and things like that. But now that I've learned more about it, to understand how your distinct function, doing reporting, um, and then you know, funneling some of the national stuff in, I've become more enthusiastic about supporting you because I think it's good to. I just think it's so important to have somebody who's spending their full time thinking about these things and trying to communicate them effectively to people. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's one of the reasons I don't consider myself a journalist, is because outside of uh, scheduling these and talking to people on mics, I don't do like research (laughs) on things. I mostly just rely on the guests to tell me what they are. Do you do like written recaps of these at all? Mm, Like think a blog post that sort of summarizes key points, that kind of stuff. Interesting idea. Maybe I should do that. Yeah, I guess. While I got you here, any any thoughts on how we can uh, how we can do this better? <laughs> I couldn't tell if you were joking or not when I asked you, but you were like, "I'm not supposed to come on as a competitor," and I was like, "Well, if you consider me a competitor, I'm very flattered by that." No, I you are. You're a,
1: you're a media outlet. Um yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you said you're you're
0: not sure if you think you're a journalist or not, but yeah. Um, I don't know that that's really important it's like saying what's art right I mean it, it's like arguing over whether, whether something's art or not like arguing whether whether someone's a journalist or not is kind of academic right it's like what are you what are you doing and what responsibilities do you have and what you're doing and oh yeah and well, it's like uh, you want, right you know? well, I was listening
1: yeah. to the, your, your episode with uh, Stan Nord and he was talking about Diane Benjamin uh, as a reporter and I think people in town sort of reject the, that title for her you know the mm-hmm. pe- people who don't who don't like her you know sort of don't don't allow themselves to call her that because yeah. of, of the way she approaches uh, reporting. And I certainly have, you know, significant concerns about the way she does what she does. However, I, it, it certainly appears that she's reporting. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I've, always general- I've always found that kind of a little bit, I guess, just petty and beside the point, right? Yeah. Like when people just want to... Like oh, I'm not going to give you that name. Like, oh, okay, fine. Like, it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't change anything. So, yeah.
1: I think it's yeah journalism. I don't know. It's like there's like a, if there's like an editorial process to it. If there's somebody above you who is who is reviewing what you're doing and making sure it's of a certain quality and accuracy. That is sort of when I don't know. I guess that's when journalism begins. Yeah.
0: Well, that's what I do to Justin. I make sure to keep him online. See, well, Justin's a journalist. Yeah, that's why I didn't uh, invite him along this time. So I was like, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to be able to handle this one. Justin, you better stay home. No, just kidding. He's got a sick family, so hope they feel better Justin. Uh, everybody's sick these days. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Oh, um, so well, any I wanna... advice for, a young, for a, a
1: young up-and-coming media outlet? Like, yeah, like, as your own? So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, shorter episodes. Everyone tells me shorter episodes.
1: Yeah, if you can get it down to like two or three minutes, people will really okay. dig that, I think.
0: I'll try to edit this whole conversation down to two minutes, and I'll put that I'll put that after the... Uh, I'll put that at the closing here. You run, no, you run it at 50 speed, and then it's... Yeah. <laughs> you'll blow right through it. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that a shot. I'll try, to, I'll try to try my editing skills here. I'll try to edit that down to two or three minute conversation, and uh, you can let me know how I do, Ryan. Excellent. I won't make you say anything that's like... Super inappropriate oh man that reminds me of um, that there was a, on the media one time they were interviewing somebody about like their editorial process and about how he had um, totally like misrepresented a situation through editing and the person was being um, really obstinate about it that he didn't, hadn't done that and so then um, what they did at the end of that interview was they they chopped his interview up to make him sound like he said like a bunch of really inappropriate offensive stupid things. <laughs> That's like, Yeah. I thought that was uh was um funny. Probably not the you know again from a journalism standpoint, tip in your hand that you were irritated, but um you know Bob Garfield he can do that if he wants to. So <laughs> so yeah. So uh so written summaries, um yeah. Anything else?
1: Oh advice wise? Um yeah. cover stuff that others are under covering, right? Okay. So do you sense that the Bloomington and Normal city councils are undercovered? I would argue that they're they're adequately or overcovered. Their council meetings, okay, right? Especially the council meetings. You know, that's probably the one thing all the media knows, knows to show up at. Uh, you know, we all go to it. It's easy to schedule. It happens every two weeks. Yada yada, right? But what are the things that that media has pulled back from covering in the last, you know, X amount of years? What are those things,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and devote resources there? Okay. Because then you've got a monopoly on it because we've all we pulled back from it maybe. Okay. Um,
0: appreciate that.
1: Yeah. There you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, the I guess I'm um, going to wrap up here. Be considerate of your time. Uh, WGLT.org if people want to hear more from you.
1: Yes, please do. Or subscribe to another great podcast. Not quite as good as this one. It's called The Lead Off. The Lead Off. Bloomington Normals Only and first daily news podcast.
0: Yes, it is uh, more frequent and uh, higher production value than this podcast. So. Each
1: episode is an hour and a half long. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: anyway,
1: I do one every day. It's so exhausting.
0: Just it's kidding. Like, it's eight minutes. You and Ben Shapiro <laughs> are the two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how does that like, I do that? I swear. Do you, do you know he puts out like a daily hour-long podcast with his take on the news? I'm like, how are you... I, it's like inhuman. Is, Does he have a big staff or something? I have no idea. It's amazing. And he, like, he talks so fast. I have a lot of respect for that. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, and then uh, another question, last question I like to ask people when they are here is uh, if, I guess to your point about something being undercovered or something not getting enough attention, um the tagline of this is "People Doing Big Things in Bloomington Normal." So, are you aware of any organization or person in uh, in Bloomington who you'd like to give a shout out to who you feel like is doing kind of a, a thankless or underrecognized job?
1: That's a good question. Yes, um, that's a really good question. You you, I, you end each one with the with yeah. that same question. I usually try to give someone some
0: shine if I can. That's a good question.
1: Um, I think, and I'm going I'm to try to do a story about them at some point here. Um, Teachers' assistants, teachers' aides, in Unit Five and District Eighty Seven, are are the secret sauce of public education in our community. If you think about it, like I, I don't know where your kids go to school, but my my kids, my daughter goes to um, Parkside Elementary, mm-hmm. uh, and she's before that went to another school. And the the role of the teachers, uh, teachers' assistants, the, that that kind of that step right below a, a full time classroom teacher is just. Uh, those people are just amazing and underpaid, uh, and and mean so much to the kids uh, that we could double their pay, and I still think it's still going to be under market for like what they mean to the educational quality.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good call out. Uh, my kids go to Washington, and they're okay. um, especially my son's elementary school class. Um, Mrs. Batterson, I believe her name was. I hope I didn't mess that up. I'll edit that out if I messed it up. Don't look at it. <laughs> I don't do much editing unless I make a mistake, but I take it out. Shout out to Mrs. Ayers at Parkside Elementary. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're amazing, and the kids do love them so much. So good call. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming in, chatting with me. Thanks for having me. I hope, uh, hope um, Mike, uh, RC, or whoever. Who is your boss, actually? Is it Charlie? Uh, Mike McCurdy. Mike McCurdy. Okay. Well, Mike's been on before, so uh, he gives you a hard time. Just send them my way. I'll talk my first gen. Are you guys hiring in case I get canned? I got, yeah, you can have um, double my salary. Sweet. Okay. (laughs) Sounds high. Yeah. All right. So, I want to do one last thank you to our sponsors BRE Law, Play Normal Esports, and Normal Gadgets. Uh, Play Normal Esports, as we talk about, is a great place to come with your family or to drop your kids off. Ryan, you uh, have you ever uh, have you been in here before? Is this your first time? My
1: first visit today.
0: Okay, I, I like to ask people when they've been here the first time, and what what struck you when you came in about the environment here? I think it's a cool atmosphere. So
1: that I can never tell my kids about it because if Alice, my daughter, ever knew about this place existing, I would spend most of my Sundays here with the twenty-five dollar deal. <laughs> if she, she a, ever knew, <laughs> is she a big Fortnite player? Uh, she likes to watch it on YouTube. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you remarked that it's like. Uh, Dark and um, like a nice atmosphere, black lights, um, mm-hmm. comfy chairs, good place to come and play games.
1: It does, yeah. It's really chilling here. I dig it.
0: Yeah, and also uh, I also like on your way out you can hear some video game music. They usually have video game music playing, so you can kind of quiz your. Uh, it's from back in the day when we were kids, so you can kind of quiz like, oh, Ooh. is that Zelda or is that Mario? So, I like yeah. it. Yeah, I'm gonna hit that. little trivia for the parents too. So go ahead and swing on by, playing home eSports. And uh, while you're here, I know some of you guys out there have cracked screens, so come bring it in. they got really good deals on fixing your screen. Um, do quit great quick work, and uh, you can um, watch or play some video games at the same time. And I think we are done.